Welcome to the Mill Housing Nation podcast, where we are having conversations that matter for wherever the military has taken you. We're bringing you stories from real military spouses who not only understand the challenges, they are harnessing the opportunities to build lives they can love. From new spouses to veteran spouses, you'll get tips, tricks, and actionable steps that will help you along your military life journey. Welcome everyone, this is Heather Campbell, and we are so thankful that you have joined us on the Mill Housing Nation podcast, where we dive into the uniqueness of the military family journey by helping you build a life, a community, and a home you love when you are not in control of where you will call home next. Welcome back everybody to part three of our legislative action series. If you have not listened to the previous ones, I encourage you to go back and listen. In part one, we talked about how and when we should contact legislators and get involved in the process of looking at some of these laws that govern the way that we function as a military family, everything from pay to healthcare to housing, so many other things. So that was part one. Part two was a little bit more in depth about some things currently happening in Congress uh, that we can take part in. And then today we're going to be jumping into part three. And this episode today is going to be specifically about military spouse employment. Um, some progress that we've made and why this is even a topic of conversation when we're talking about legislative action. Well, what, you know, why are we talking about legislation and military spouse employment? So we are going to get into that. And without further ado, let's get started. Now, the first thing I want to visit in this conversation is why are we talking about military spouse employment or unemployment or legislation surrounding that? Here at the Mill Housing Nation and the Mill Housing Network as a whole, we are in the business of helping of helping people find their home, right? Of helping them build home wherever they go, wherever they live, helping them build that community, helping them find that home. Well, when you're looking at where you're going to live, where you're going to rent, where you're going to buy, your budget comes into play. And whether or not you have one income or two incomes, that matters. And for anybody who's been in the military community for, you know, half a second or any length of time, really, will understand that relocating makes finding employment hard. If you are the following spouse or significant other, it can create a lot of really difficult situations in maintaining career that therefore impacts your family's budget and what you can do and where you can live and how you set up home and how you set up shop and how you build community, right? So we know that in this lifestyle, there are different challenges that we face that our counterparts don't. So it's important to be informed about those different challenges but also not just to be informed, but to know how we can impact those, right? What programs exist to help us in various different ways, nonprofits, all kinds of things. And then also, you know, up to the policy level and to our lawmakers, what are they doing that's impacting how we govern these different parts of our lives, right? So that is where we're sort of getting started when we're talking about this military spouse employment is because this matters when you're looking at buying and selling and renting and moving it matters, you know, what your household budget looks like. And in the military community, we know that for about the last decade or so, I don't have the exact numbers in front of me, but military spouse unemployment has averaged at about 24%, right? About one in four, one in anywhere between one in four and one in five. So 20 to 25% of military spouses are reporting that they are unemployed. Now we have another percentage that are underemployed, right? Maybe they have a job, but it's either not full time or the compensation's not right or they're not using their skill set. So yeah, they might have a job, but it's not furthering their career. We're not even talking about that number. We're talking just unemployment. And when we look at unemployment, that's just people who wish they were working and now consider themselves unemployed. That is different than say a stay-at-home parent who is not actively looking for work, right? So that number might even be higher than 
you know, what's currently reported, which is about one in four military spouses are unemployed. That is up to six times the national average. So depending on, you know, what data you look like, it's anywhere from six, I've seen all the way up to 33% unemployment, which is 10 times the national average, right? So all that to say, military spouses have a really hard time moving around and relocating and recreating community and maintaining employment. So what is being done? Do we have resources? In the last 10 years or so, this has really become a topic of conversation. And there has been a lot of progress in military spouse um, resume workshops and trainings and you know education and getting things compensated. And, and that's all well and good. But as somebody who holds you know an undergraduate degree and a master's degree, education doesn't do a whole lot of good when you can't find a job. Great, I've got expensive pieces of paper on the wall, but I can't find a job that covers the needs of my family. In our case, we have to get childcare because if I'm not at home and available or if my spouse isn't at home, then we need to make sure that our budget or you know what I'm adding to our schedule is being covered by my pay. Otherwise, you know, now all we're doing is taking money out of our household budget for me to go to work and it's not even covering, you know, what it's costing us. So these are really important conversations to have. Even though over the last 10 years, we've had a lot of progress in training and education, we're still seeing the same number for the last decade of 24% of military spouses are unemployed. So what is being done about it? The first thing I want to address is the military spouse licensure compact. Now, this went through back in 2021, and it was finally signed into law earlier this year in 2023. And then even some more amendments came over the summer of 2023. Basically, with the the licensure compact, it makes it easier for military spouses to transfer their license. Now, what does that mean? That means if you have a career field that is governed by a state license, you have to redo that in every state. So if you're a lawyer, um, if you're a registered dietitian like myself, many different healthcare fields, teachers, um, I'm trying to think what else hairdressers, cosmetologists, estheticians. I know that I am leaving some out. So please, if you have a career field that is regulated by licensure, and I'm not naming it off, please don't take offense. There's just, I know that there are many of us who are educated and driven and we have to maintain licensure. When you maintain licensure, say, for example, I just moved from Alaska to the East Coast and to get licensed in my new state, you typically have to go and run a background check and, and get your history from every single state that you've previously held a license And you have to apply for the license in the new state. All of those cost money. Each background check costs money. Each application costs money. Sometimes different states have different rules of, well, you've got to take this training before we'll give you a license. Or, hey, here's our our annual requirements for training that you also have to pay for, right? So those things vary from state to state. So where you might have been good to go in your previous state, oh, well, their requirement was, you know, courses A and C, and this state requires courses B and J. Right. So that can change and that can make it really difficult. A lot of times states don't want you to apply for licensure in their state until you have a local address. Well, a lot of jobs won't let you apply until you can say that you have a license. It doesn't look super great if you're applying with an out of state address and you don't have a local career license. So those are just a couple of insights into why this can be difficult. I know for me, when we moved back to Alaska because we lived there twice, there was actually a fee to reinstate my previous license because when we moved, I did not maintain it, aka I did not continue to pay hundreds of dollars to the state of Alaska 
to keep my medical license open and and valid there because I wasn't seeing patients there. I wasn't practicing nutrition there. So I didn't maintain it. I just let it, you know, run its course. I let it expire. Well, to reinstate it would have not only been all the things I just listed, but in addition, a penalty for not keeping it active, right? So you can understand where when you do that over a number of years and you're constantly relocating and like for us, you know, a little more than 10 years in, we're at over $1,000 just in maintaining licensure fees. That's not even my education and all of my, you know, continuing courses. That's just literally making sure that I can work in each state. So it can be really difficult. It can get really expensive. I mean, it just creates more barriers. And while these licensure laws are good and they help protect these professions, it can be quite cumbersome to navigate as a military spouse. So with the military spouse licensure compact, it's easier to transfer from state to state on some career fields. Now, I know, for example, dietitians are not in, I don't think every state or maybe we just got added. I remember reading something and it was in the middle of PCS. So the brain, you know, gets a little foggy during moving season. But I know that that's one that we were still talking about and hoping for. And maybe this was prior to the updates that came out in July. But, you know, definitely check with your regulatory agencies for your career field. Check with your state. See what they know. Um, And honestly, as many of us already know, your best source of information is going to be your fellow spouses in your duty station. They're going to know, you know, where the dentist is and the good car shop. And they're going to know how to navigate your local for, you know, my career as a Department of Health you know, they're going to know how to navigate that. So definitely ask for insight from the people around you to figure out all the ins and outs. Um, If you do have difficulty transferring licensure or with your state adhering to this law, because it is a federal law, definitely get your military legal office involved. Reach out to the Department of Defense. You can reach out to the Department of Justice, and there is support there for that. But that is one uh, that is up and going, that, that is law, that is, you know, enacted. It's been signed into law. It's out there. That's something that's supposed to be happening with the Military Spouse Licensure Compact. Now, we're going to take a break and we are going to hear from today's sponsor, Armed Forces Bank, and then we're going to come back and we're going to talk about something that is not yet into the law. A full-service military bank committed to serving those who served since 1907. Armed Forces Bank provides a vast array of affordable and easily accessible financial products to both active and retired military and civilian clients in all 50 states and across the world. When you're in the military, your needs are different, and your banking should be too. That's why, no matter where you are stationed in the world, Armed Forces Bank strives to make everything from banking solutions to financial advice personal, valuable, and convenient for you with numerous services, including online and mobile banking tools to help you bank on your schedule. Okay, everybody, welcome back. Special thanks again to Armed Forces Bank. We cannot do what we do here, like bring you in all of this very exciting information about legislation without their support. So thank you again to them. Now, let's get back into this. We talked about, you know, why are we discussing legislation around military spouse employment? Why is this an important conversation? And what's already being done? We talked about the Military Spouse Licensure Compact. Now, we're going to talk about the Work Opportunity Tax Credit. Now, this is legislation that already exists for different classes with target groups. So you've probably heard from different uh, employers or different populations, hey, your employer gets a tax credit if they hire an ex-con, right? Like a felon. Hey, if if they're hiring a rehabilitated criminal, then, then they might get a tax credit or, you know, different types of, depending on the job, of course, and safety, different individuals with different um, learning disabilities or developmental delays. And there's a lot of different things that exist out there to say, hey, 
like, this is important. These, uh, the people in this population often get overlooked. We need to pay attention to them. We need to give them a chance. They're a really important group of our, of our working class, right? So those are target groups. This legislation, this um, work opportunity tax credit, I've also heard it called the Military Spouse Hiring Act, and it, it works to expand the work opportunity tax credit. And it is working to get military spouse added as a target group so that employers would get a tax credit. Now, some states, you know, give different incentives or, or some states have it protected that you can't be discriminated against for your marital status to the military. In general, you know, you can kind of hold that on any employer or potential employer of, hey, I'm being discriminated against due to my marital status because I'm married to the military, right? That's federal. But in most cases, any military spouse will tell you that they have talked to people who don't want to hire them because we're going to move. Never mind that, you know, many employees don't stay somewhere for three years anymore anyway. Not not like they did, you know, when we were kids where somebody got their job and worked there for 20 or 30 years, right? It's just not that way. You know, whether that's good or bad, I, I don't know, but it's it's just different now. So this is something that we're still battling as military spouses is getting hired. And the thought process is if this tax credit is there, then these businesses, these employers will get a credit on their taxes. They'll get a little bit of a tax break for hiring us, us being military spouses. Last year, there was a big push in the 117th Congress to have both the House and Senate versions of this bill go through. Because remember, we have two houses of Congress, two chambers, and they both have to pass bills and agree on them, and then it goes into law. So last year, Congress ended with 53 co-sponsors in the Senate on their version of the bill and 281 co-sponsors in the House. So there was a huge, huge, huge show of support for this legislation. However, if you guys remember, you know, go back to your schoolhouse rock and how bills work, they go to committee and there are different committees that govern different things. And the committee that was in charge of essentially getting this to the floor for a vote and making sure that it could, you know, move forward they they didn't release their responsibility over it. There was an opportunity to say, yeah, let's just go ahead and, and ignore that. They didn't do that. And because there wasn't a bigger bill regarding tax law going through that this could sort of piggyback on, it just, it just went to committee and died. So even though we, there was all this great support, it just didn't move forward from there. There's a lot of bureaucracy in there. You, you can research it uh, and learn all the ins and outs. I'm still learning myself, but Essentially, the support was there and it still didn't happen. So there's a big push again this year during the 118th Congress to see this become a reality. So then we would not only have, you know, this ease of transferring our licensure, but also we have an incentive for these military, you know, quote unquote, military friendly companies to hire us. They they get a tax credit. Currently, there are 92 co-sponsors in the House and 25 in the Senate. So not quite where we were last year with support, but definitely Still seeing that we've got support in Congress. You know, there's many members who agree, yep, this is important. We should make this happen for our military families. And that is where this fits into our legislative action series, right? That's where we're going to have that call to action. Okay, what do we do as just your regular old people, regular military spouses or military supporters or veterans or veteran spouses? How can we help? You can go to congress.gov and you can search these bills. You can search for the Military Spouse Hiring Act, and you can see where it is. You can see where your lawmakers, where your legislators 
sit on the bill? Have they co-sponsored? Do they sit maybe in the committee where it's it's stuck? Where do your your lawmakers sit, both your representatives and your senators? Where are they on these bills? And you can email them. You can reach out to them. Now, there are some different organizations that are working on this. The first one is the National Military Family Association, also known as NMFA. You can go into their website. You can search this. There's a whole section on advocacy and how to get involved and how to find who to contact. You can also go to the Military Officers Association of America, which is M-O-A-A. Sometimes you'll hear it uh, called MOA. And they actually have an automated, like prepared email that you can use to contact your legislators and say, hey, thank you for your support of this, or hey, I think you should support this, right? So there's some organizations out there that are already in this conversation that are working hard on this, and you can add your voice to the fight that they are already engaged in, give it more power, give it more strength, and not have to reinvent the wheel or figure out how in the heck do you show your support. So again, NMFA, that's the National Military Family Association, or MOA, MOAA, which is the Military Officers Association of America. Both of those organizations are engaged in advocacy. They're engaged in this conversation and they are a great starting point if this is something that you are interested in in saying, hey, I want to be a part of seeing this change. I want to be a part of helping either myself, uh, my community, the community I used to be in, my friends, my family, my loved ones. I want to see this support go through for them. So that is where you can sort of get started on that. If you're listening and you have any experience with the military licensure compact or um, engaging with legislators or you have thoughts or feedback about the work opportunity credit, please share those things with us. You know, send us an email, put your comments in this podcast. Let us know what you think or what your experience has been, because the more knowledge that we have, the more that we can support this community and the more that we can share. So we always, always love to hear feedback from all of you. Be sure if you have not already to subscribe to our podcast and share it with your friends. We appreciate the feedback and comments that you share with us as we support the military community. Thank you all so much for being a part of the Mill Housing Nation. We appreciate you. The Mill Housing Nation is where you always have a community no matter where you are stationed.